Welcome to Redesigning High School, our podcast for parents and anyone else who might be interested in how we might remake school for the benefit of students. I'm Terry DeBow, still. I'm still an English teacher, and I'm still a director of projects, special projects at Hawkins School in Cleveland, Ohio. And I am Julia Griffin, and I am still the director of the Mastery School. This last is, I checked. Last you checked. Things move fast. They but, do move fast yeah. around here. Uh, well, hi, Julia. Hi, how are you? I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm great. <laughs> wow, you sound so confident. I'm great. My daughter's coming home from college Aww. today for a little fall break. We're going to go apple picking. Nice. You know, fall in Cleveland. It's beautiful. It is beautiful. I'm not even going to talk about what's coming, you know. No. It's no, just better a beautiful not time. Uh, so, yeah, all's good. And we're, like, in the heart of the semester. Yeah. I do this where I have a – I use my a Google Doc to sort of plan my classes and – um, and I record like the n- class number. Turns out we're halfway through this first semester. It's incredible. Yeah, it's a, a bizarre feeling where you feel like you just started and then it's almost over. So uh, let's hope that's not a metaphor for other things. Uh, <laughs> all right, we have a great episode today. We talked to Doris Corda of the Corda Institute for Teaching, and uh, we did a kind of deep dive into where we are with the mastery school. So if anyone out there is um, who's listening is interested in the Mastery School of Hawken in particular and where we are, I think this episode would be great. Um, but also, if you're just interested, like, what's it like to design a school while you're running a school? <laughs> like, yeah. how do you how do you redesign a plane while it's 30,000 feet in the air sort of thing? So Yeah, uh, th- th- no, I really enjoyed this one. This was very much a window into, I feel like, my world in a lot of ways. And Doris and I are, uh, you know, locked at the hip partners in crime. Use your cliche here, um, in the build. Um, so it was really, uh, just fun to get to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, always inspiring too. So, um, but before we get to the episode, let's do our best and our worst. So you get a start. Sure. Uh, yeah, it was a good week. It was a four-day week, which uh, it always sort of feels like five days are trying to attack you all at once in right. a four-day week. But um, but we had uh, eighth graders from the Birchwood School and of Hawken and from the Lindhurst uh, campus uh, of Hawken on campus at the Mastery School on Tuesday and Wednesday, which was really exciting. Um, for me, things start to feel real when there are students in the building, and I think some of these students are going to be in the first year um, in the very first class of the mastery school. And that's really exciting. So it was great. We had, you know, design team members and um, some current Hawkins students who've uh, taken PhD and have had a taste of what this kind of learning is like. And uh, it was just um, a good and energy filled start to the week. Yeah. Well, you know, I was down there uh, watching, observing. Yes, you were. I I got the pizza or the chicken wings or uh, whatever. And, uh, (laughs) Which let's not underestimate the power of lunch. Very important. Very important. This is going to be great lunch at the Master School of Hawking. Yes. Um, but, uh, you know, it is something different when there's actually like 13 year olds walking yes. through the building, crossing the street from one, uh, first academic building to the second. Um, and uh, I think this is sort of when you talk about the program at, at, at both campuses, right? But th- there's something very exciting. You remember what it's like to be on the verge of this transition between. You know, middle school and high school, but which is really like 
something like childhood and a version of adulthood. I mean, let's be clear. We're not talking about high school kids as adults, but like when you're 13, it feels feels that way. It feels like a big inflection point. And um, Raisa Drain, our admissions director for the Mastery School, did a great activity where she had design team members share our high school pictures. Yeah, I was. Did she share mine? No, I haven't seen yours. it's, It's something. Oh, wow. That sounds like we need to put it in show notes. It's a middle school dance picture with my identical twin brother. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Maybe someday you'll see it. Maybe someday. Yeah. I I interrupted you. No, no, no. But but it was great. And it was all about thinking about the transition to high school and what are you excited for and what are you worried for? And, um, you know, and it's just like, you know, people are people are individuals, but there are themes and commonalities. And, you know, I, I. when I was going into high school, I wondered if I was going to make friends and if the classes were going to be too hard. And with variations, that's mostly, in a lot of cases, what a lot of kids worry about, right? right? Yeah. And they hope that they'll get to learn interesting things, be do some activities, make some friends. Um, and so, you know, so so we started there. And then we worked on talking about, like, learning models and changing education and things like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it was that's good. Fun. How about you? Um, well, I'm going to do sort of like a mixed bag. Yeah, that's that's very real. Okay. So I'm teaching an American lit class, uh, which is not really an American lit class, called Reading America, and it's about and sort of interrogating the American mythology, good and bad, etc. And uh, we're doing uh, an exploration about racial identity through their eyes. We're watching God. We talk about a bunch of things, and I do you know group work and etc. And so we're trying to explore issues of. Well, what? White supremacy, uh, racial identity, you know, things like that. And I've done diversity training. I was just at a, you know, two, four day thing this summer where I was like 12 hour days. So you would think after 25 years of teaching and all the training that I would know how to create a space where I could get a class to dig in and be vulnerable and really engage with these ideas. And, uh, you know, not great. It was fine. But it was an opportunity to get a group of predominantly white kids to think about these issues that um, are they can recognize as being critically important and alive in the world today. And I wasn't able to create an atmosphere to access that as much as I wanted to. And so I actually told them that, like, this is on me. And it's just one of those moments where I realized just as long as I've been doing this and as much as I care about it, it's sometimes still so hard, you know? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was kind of a, I mean, I think, I think it was not a harmful time, but it was certainly not the kind of experience that I wanted them to have. Um, so I've been thinking about that. It is really hard and it's, and it's, um, it makes you vulnerable as the teacher. It makes everybody step into a space of being vulnerable and that's hard when you're in high school also. And, you know, I'm thinking as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking about how this really connects to some of what we talked about with Doris as well about like your idea of what you're supposed to do as a teacher, that the idea is supposed to be you've got it and you know all the things and you are going to explain the things to people or or create experiences that help them understand it. And you can do it all by yourself. Right. And that's not that that's that's not really the best way to do it you know it's not fair to you it's not fair to anybody yeah. <laughs> to put to put that expectation on yourself yeah. so i i really appreciate the that you that you that you engage and that you're thinking about well it i'm trying so you know and uh 
I think that um, it's really important work. It's also part of the privilege is that it's an optional thing, right? I could choose to not do it. We could move to the next book. Yes, and, that's uh, right. And uh, yeah, the, you know, the project's due uh, October 14th, and uh, I'm happy to help you. Like, it could turn that, and but I um, am pretty, I'm well, not pretty, I'm committed to trying to figure out how to, how to, sort of go back in time a little bit, create a, you know, an opportunity for them to engage deeper. And I also feel like they are smart kids and they're engaged and they're going to do, they're going to have experiences. But when you can feel like there's a optimal version of this, when you're suboptimal on it and it's this important and it's so critical to their individual um, explorations as human beings and also to our country to have people engage on these ideas with these ideas. that's where I, you know, I kind of walked away with my head down, like, ah, uh, struck out. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and yet I think, well, I think a couple of things. One, I think we're lucky to have fantastic colleagues and a yeah. wonderful team here at Hawken um, who are here to support all of us as we're figuring out on this journey how to, how to do things and do things better. And the thing I also remember is that, you know, there's – there's there's going to be class again next week. Yeah. You can come back in and come back at it. And if it didn't feel like it got to the place you wanted to get to today, yesterday, this week, like you can go back in. Yeah. Um. I know you know this. Um. But yeah. That's yeah, yeah man. That, I feel I feel for you. Yeah. <laughs> that's all right. Um. So I'll I'll do better next time, and we'll have a great experience. All right. But let's get to the positive stuff. We're building a new school. Uh, Doors came in, talked about it. So I uh, hope you guys like listening to her. And I, I became the interviewer. I interviewed you, Julia. Yeah. Uh, you you changed your hat, and I did that. So um, hope you like the episode, and we'll be back at the end to wrap up. Well, welcome back to the podcast, Doris. Hello. And we have another guest, Julia, who's joining us. Oh, yeah, Julia. I'm Julia Griffin. Uh, yes. So we're all we're really Great glad to, to have you uh, back in the studio. Um, so I'm going to take on hosting duties, and I'm just going to pepper you both with questions. So, Super. Uh, uh, enjoy that. Oh, enjoy. We will enjoy. So um, you guys, we started. you started building the school seven years ago, and we're uh, about to open next year. Yeah, it's not even a year away. No. So so how are you feeling about things? I feel absolutely great about things. It 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 is so exciting. We're exactly where we should be. Mm-hmm. Um and it's it's the most exciting time actually because we are getting deep as a team into everything that we need to be getting deep into and um it's now everybody's starting to to feel real ownership of the big stuff, the little stuff, the medium stuff, um, excitement about actual kids in the classes. It's great. What do you think, Exactly. Julia? So we're right where we should be. We are. Um, no, I, I completely agree. All these things that we've been talking about in theory for years about program, about macros and mastery credits and student life and leadership and all of that. Like we're right now at the point we have the people in place and we're really figuring out how we work together best. And we're, uh, we're really getting into it in some very exciting ways. Yeah. And there's a way to think about it too. We've been developing pieces of this. That's right. For years. And now we're putting it all together and it's, it's fitting really well. So, I mean, it's obviously been a long road and we're in a great moment right now, but What's been hard? What's oh, been gosh. hard about the process? Mm. What's been a challenge yeah. for you guys? Yeah. Well, so 
you know, this is really uh, the way I look at this is it's very much when you take an existing system and you try to innovate within the system um, and build something. It's really the entrepreneurial process as applied to creating and building something new inside an existing system. So we have an existing school. We've been building this, as you said, for years. And we've been building the pieces inside the existing school. And we've been really applying um, at the same time um, the entrepreneurial process uh, to how we've developed it. So there's something in entrepreneurship we call agile development, where we identify what our objectives are and we create something and we test it. We test that thing and we keep looking for um, feedback and results and using that as the input to redesign and we keep iterating as we develop things in very small cycles and it's really the entrepreneurial process which is about really problem solving um, that we've been applying inside a school system for years. And so what's that? What's the challenge there? I mean, well, well yeah, can go I ahead. jump in and yeah, take this go. one? Oh, that's yeah, big. That is big. So I think one of the biggest challenges is that the school system is set up, isn't set up anything like the world of innovation and business. The school system is set up with completely different structures and incentives and goals, and it isn't set up to teach people how to collaborate and uh, be agile and respond and problem solve. It's, it does, it's not actually set up to do any of those things. So that is really challenging. Um, and I think also just to sort of complement everything that Doris said on the structural level, I think on the individual level, um, that paradigm shifting is really hard. And even when you feel like you've bought in all the way as, you know, a member of the design team or as a person at Hawken who's, you know, excited about this project, that uh, feeling like you've bought in all the way to a new model of teaching and learning and then actually internalizing that are two different things. And so the, the more time you've spent in schools as a teacher and a student, um, the harder that process can be. Yeah, and I want to give you a specific example. So um, when, and this isn't about Hawken, it's about really any school. Uh, when you come to a school, to work in a school as a teacher, the idea is, and it has been for a very long time, that you come in the door with the expertise you need to be a self-contained great teacher. And I'm going to go into my class and I'm going to have many classes and I'm going to impart my expertise and wisdom on the kids in the room and they're going to ingest it and absorb it. And as a result, uh, you know, become really deep in expertise in biology or in physics or in, uh, you know, English. English or for instance, writing for or, yeah, instance. or whatever it is. And so school is set up like that. And as anybody listening is either going to school now or has been to school and you get what I'm talking about. Sure. That's the way school set up. For, so, for adults as well as for kids, right? For we know adults it. as well as for kids. So the, kids. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So the work of a school, the work of a student 
in a school in those core academic classes is mostly solitary. The work in a school, the professional life of a teacher is mostly solitary. And so what we're doing in building this new school, and we've been doing it, by the way, for years, is we've been building new models for learning and teaching that are highly collaborative. The design and build process is collaborative. The student learning experience is collaborative. And there are many reasons for that, that that's better. And in most industries that exist still and that thrive, they've learned that, that no single person can do as well as what happens when you are deeply generative through collaboration, that bringing strengths in of many different people and being very strategic and smart about how you bring those in, how you use those, how you uh, deploy those strengths, that that's really where the best problem solving, the best advancement, the best new ideas, the best new everything comes from. But we're not set up in schools like that. And we're also, I mean, we you're speaking, I'm thinking the other part of the teacher's life is that the identity is yeah. in the, the profession, yeah. right? And that solitary nature is part of how we identify ourselves because That's I'm right. the teacher. You're the teacher. So just as kids are often accused of not being very... Um, tolerant of failure or disappointment or or getting feedback about how they could do better. Teachers, I think, are are many teachers. Yep. I would be (laughs) sensitive to the implication that this thing that is central to my identity that has gotten me positive feedback and that is somehow not sufficient and maybe even detrimental to the growth of kids, that's really hard. So I can – going back to what's challenging about this project – I have to assume part of it is that, that some teachers, you know, would hear something that maybe is not being said about the way that we've been teaching. Can I be really real here for a minute? We're on a podcast. We're on a podcast. It's a space to be real. I... I think this is part of the journey that I had to go on. And Doris and I first started working together years ago when I was a teacher and a department chair of humanities. And, but we were working together really with me as a, as a teacher in a lot of ways. And a big part of what I, the learning that I had to do at that point in my, you know, growth was figuring out how we could partner and team in a way that was totally supportive of my growth, which didn't always mean just saying, Oh, Julia, great job. That yeah. was great. That's usually how which growth is, is, is articulated in school. Well, and yeah. administ- administrator person coming into my class and then being like, hey, that was a great lesson, loved it, was much more my life before that, if there even was an administrator coming to my class, right. which didn't happen that often. Like even that whole idea, administrator coming to my class, is a completely different thing from how what I we did. work yeah. and what you did. And so I think that that... I, that was talk about paradigm shifting being hard, that breaking the seal on that and getting to opened the door to be able to collaborate and do crazy, cool, incredible things. And it was the power of seeing what happened for kids when we worked together that propelled me and made me want to keep on doing it, even though it was so awkward and uncomfortable. And, you know, listeners to the podcast perhaps know that, you know, 
as as someone who is a who is a traditionally good student, uh, that area of feedback and growth was not one that was easy for me. Right. Um, so it is. I think it's for a lot of teachers. It's really hard, and it is it is paradigm shifting. Yeah. So one of the things I've been struck with as I've been you know participating in and observing this is just how deliberate uh, you guys are. Right. The Corda Institute is is essentially based on being a, having a deliberate process to change the way people oh, it's teach. A, it's learn, a methodology. Right? It's a methodology. Absolutely. So without you know going too deep into the methodology, can you talk yeah. a little bit about why you think de- being so deliberate and intentional is essential to developing this new school? Sure. So um, turns out that, you know, uh, we, we, we've designed school mostly for preparation, this idea that I'm going to teach you a bunch of stuff and in the hopes, you know, for 12, 14, 18 years in the hopes that someday um, you'll make use of it somehow. And it actually isn't supported. That model of teaching, which is what we, that model of education, isn't supported by anything we know about the science behind how humans learn new things best. Humans actually don't learn in that linear a way. Dump it in, and then I'll spit it out someday. And we actually have a ton of data to show it doesn't work. We also know that humans learn new things best, even really hard academic new things best, when they have to learn them in order to accomplish something they care about. Well, when you start getting into the real science, the cognitive science that we've known for decades around how people learn best, new things best, you would design a completely different method of teaching. And that's what I've I've been developing for actually 24 years. And it isn't about you know, Doris Corda's method of teaching. It's about how do you teach when you understand the real science behind how people learn hard new things for keeps. And there's this huge paradigm shift that that you have to do to start with, which is you have to deeply respect that the focus cannot be on what's taught The focus must be on what's learned. And then how do you create teaching methods? And I'm going to answer your question, which is this deliberate thing. Well, everything about the way you teach is entirely different if your focus is on what's being learned. So how you perform assessments as a teacher, how you modify your instruction, not just modify it for next week, but day-to-day and even minute-to-minute, you teach in an entirely different way. If I go in as a teacher to a traditional classroom today, I have my lesson plans, and I they are the content, the specific content I want to make sure everybody in the room gets. This is what I'm going to teach today. And don't you create a new schedule. Don't interrupt my time because i got to get through this material. If instead you, your entire lens is, what are the learning objectives I have for these students? What do I actually want them to learn? 
and for keeps and deeply, how do I, how do they demonstrate? How do I see evidence that they're learning that? How do I assess actively in the way that I teach for the evidence that they're actually learning those things? And then how do I create learning experiences that will put the students in the pathway where they're going to need to figure these things out in order to accomplish something they care about. It's a very, very different method of teaching. It's highly developed. I've done it over actually thousands and thousands of students and teachers. And it's, and each of them is teaching differently. They're all teaching. They're all their own architects, designers. They teach differently. They're, they're all teaching their way, but they're teaching with methods that match what we know about how humans learn. And not only learn um, skills like collaboration, communications, problem solving, but learn mathematics, learn statistics, learn literature analysis, learn uh, a new language, um, all these things. And one of the reasons that the collaborative teaching model is so vitally important is that if you care most about having the students in the, lear- in the room all learn deeply, then the methods that you use in teaching can't be completely narrowed to this thing we call the Algebra 2 curriculum in Chapter 2, <laughs> right. right? They will... By the way, at the Mastery School of Hawken and in all the schools we're working with who are teaching like this, they will learn mathematics deeply, the language of mathematics. They'll learn all those things. But you can't get a human to powerfully learn, to learn as powerfully if what you care most about is how you set up the teachers so that they're in a classroom and they're only supposed to do the right. Fun I mean, things. so if, I mean, the point, the structure that we have now is yeah. is deliberate, but in a very different way. It's deliberate <laughs> for based, the teacher. It's for the teacher and right. for the efficiencies of the administration. Right. It's, it's not, not for the learning. learning. Yeah. So as we wrap up here. Uh, do you have any updates about the master's school you want to share? Sure. Well, just to build on everything Doris was saying, one of the places that uh, that all of that planning is taking shape right now in where we are with the design team is in the envisioning of year one macros. Um, and macros, as listeners may know, um, are the core part of a student's schedule in any given semester. Um and where they work on a series of challenges with community partners over the course of a semester. Um, and that, and they do a ton of the kind of learning that Doris is talking about along the way. Um, so we've been deep in conversation about what those could, what those could look like. And with each one, the question that we ask ourselves is, okay, what's an idea for a macro we want it to cross disciplines in a big way, have components of humanities, components of STEM, research, writing, all, math, all of those things in any macro. And 
we then um, have ask ourselves, what kinds of things could a student deeply learn while working on challenges related to this? Because it's exactly right. It's not the list, set list of topics that were prescribed that we have to somehow kind of weave in and get to. It's if you were working on a series of challenges related to environmental sustainability, related to citizenship and civic action, related to whatever sort of core idea might be the genesis for a macro, what kinds of things might students be able to deeply learn? And by the way, in any one of those, there's a ton there as you go further that isn't necessarily immediately obvious um, and that crosses disciplines in a big way. And we've learned, so I've been working with, as you know, um, hundreds of teachers at, at schools doing this kind of teaching. And we've developed um, methodologies even for how you identify challenges and how you set them up given the learning objectives you have. So um, there's a lot to this. And I'll give you a specific example. Um, a STEM class where... Um, the teachers select uh, challenges that over the course of the four challenges, students will not only learn all these skills we're talking about, creative problem solving, collaboration, critical, th they all have different growth to do. They'll individually grow in different ways, but they'll learn the first year biology that they need to learn mm -hmm. and they'll learn the chemistry that they need to learn. And, um, we're deep now in the design, as Julie is saying, of the first year macros for the ninth graders. And I think that's such a central important point to emphasize is that um, you're in this deliberate design. You're also aware of the kind of content and learning that we want students to be able to do. So when they walk out, they are educated in ways that in some ways feel familiar, right? You know how to do these things, you know what this stuff is, but they're educated in, in ways that maybe most schools don't, aren't able to do because we're so busy in the traditional model. And what it does is also a methodology of teaching and even curriculum design that allows each student to learn in an individualized way. We talk about that in education a lot, but how do you create a classroom where all these students, each of whom has different interests and different, um, uh, you know, we all learn differently. Right. Everybody learns differently. How do you create an educational experience to support um, a goal of individual growth? And that's really where um, where the these very deliberate methods right. of instruction right. come in. Yeah. Well, we're excited to see the list of macros, which is coming at some point soon. Uh, and uh, we will have both. Well, you'll always be back, Julia. But Doris, you'll be back we on the pod. We can't get rid of me, Terry. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and you'll be back on the pod soon uh, as we uh, continue to update uh, anyone who's listening about uh, the uh, Mastery School of Hawken, which nice. is for sure. Uh, eight months away, nine, oh, ten, crazy. something oh, like that. Yeah, we don't, stop. We don't have a clock. Okay. Crazy. Anyway, thank you for coming All in. All right. Thanks. Fun thanks. to be here always. All right. We want to thank Doris Corder uh, for joining us and uh, thanks to Julia and uh, for you guys for listening. Um, uh, as usual, we want to make sure that you uh, know that you can follow us on all your social media feeds. You can subscribe to the 
podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Um, we are looking for reviews, uh, and uh, we'd really appreciate if you do listen, if you could share and communicate about it. We want to make sure that educators and parents and anyone who's interested in redesigning school knows about us. So whatever you can do to help would be great. Uh, working on the next newsletter, so be sure to go to uh, redesigningschool.org to sign up. And until next time, thanks for listening. Thank you.